Grab your Bible or a Bible or your phone and turn to First Peter chapter three. Spend um, some more time in First Peter chapter three, verses nine through twenty-two this morning, and hope to um, to offer some clarity, some insight, and hoping that Christ will speak through speak through His Word um, this morning. So. I've oftentimes, over the past three years or so, um, used a gentleman in my life as a great bad example. And so, uh, so this morning, we brought him with us. My dad and mom are here this morning, and my dad's over there. So I wanted you to have a picture of who that bad, that good bad example is. This morning, he said, be easy on me. So that's, that's what I said that. And I had to omit several stories this morning <laughs> since he's here. <laughs> so anyways... Now, I'm um, hoping that the Lord will speak to us this morning through His Word, and hope that you um, that you learn something for sure. Uh, but I also hope that as we leave here this morning, that our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And so I'm going to read these verses and then pray again for us, and then we'll study together. Starting in verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, so the opposite of that, bless for this you were called, and that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are, upon, are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been submitted or subjected to him. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we study this this morning, may your Holy Spirit speak to us and counsel us and convict us and change us. That our response to you might be worship to you. That our response to you might be in obedience to you so that you might be glorified and honored this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Peter's writing again to these exiled Christians, these Christians who are sojourners, who are people who are not belonging to this land. Uh, Peter makes the, 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 the statement or the point from the first chapter that you don't belong to this world. You belong to an, a world outside of here that Christ has saved you for. And you're living in this temporary broken home and traveling through as pilgrims or sojourners in this temporary home. And yet while you're there, as people who have been saved from sin and death by Jesus, 
you're still going to experience brokenness and suffering. So how do we handle that? How do we handle suffering uh, as a righteous person? How can we bless even in times of suffering? And as we look at the end of chapter 3 here, I think Peter is really trying to hammer home these, these statements. The statement of that while you are suffering, you still will be a blessing. That while you're suffering, you still will be a blessing. Even in the midst of submission, like we talked about at the beginning of chapter 3, Wives submitting to an ungodly husband. Can you still be a blessing to, in the midst of the suffering, can you still be a blessing to your ungodly husband? Can slaves be a blessing in the midst of suffering and persecution to their earthly master? Can we be a blessing to an ungodly emperor? Can we be a blessing, in this case, Peter's writing to Christians who will be persecuted by Nero, who's going to put them to death by fire? Can they be a blessing even to Nero in the midst of suffering. Well, we can, and the main idea is that believers should not fear, but instead should set apart Christ as holy in their hearts, letting the Christ and the holiness of Christ being set apart in their hearts as they honor Him motivate their lives because the heart feeds the brain, and the brain motivates you to walk or run or flight or have a flight when it's uh, time to fight, whatever the case may be. So the heart being changed by Christ and us setting apart Christ in our hearts as holy, we allow that to then change our brain, change our thinking, and motivate us to be, to be uh, living in obedience to Christ and Christ alone. One author says, his last name Schreiner, he says, suffering is the path- pathway to glory. And as Peter points out to us, Jesus suffered for us, sacrificed for us, that we might be able to celebrate and be in victory with Christ in His glory. And so even in our lives today, we're not suffering, and whatever that suffering looks like in your life, we're not suffering for the sake of salvation, but instead we're suffering in a broken world that maybe we may be weaned off of sin, but more importantly, that we might give glory to the Father because of what the Son has done for us. It's almost as if suffering is the prelude. As you walked in this morning to uh, before service, there was music playing. It was the pre-service music. It happens to be one of my favorite times of the year. And so it was Christmas music, reminding us of the coming Savior as we think about this. So this is the prelude music. Suffering acts as the prelude. It's the beginning before the glory. It's the beginning before the time of, of celebration or whatever the case may be. And we can look at it the same way as you suffer this week and whatever level of suffering you may experience. Maybe you'll be burned at the stake this week. Maybe you won't. Maybe it will just be your toddler pushing you and pushing you. And you say, why, toddler, are you causing me to suffer? And you can look at that as a prelude of things to come, like teenage years. (laughs) And still in that, be able to say, Christ and Christ alone, all to to His glory. Maybe you'll experience some kind of sickness this week. Uh, Or maybe you already are. And you say, what do I do with this this moment of suffering? Most of the time, suffering leads us to fear something. To fear death. To fear what may happen to our bodies. To fear what may happen to our bank accounts. To fear what may happen to our families. To fear of loneliness. To fear of joy being removed forever. To fear of unknown things. And so we begin to avoid suffering. Don't bring suffering my way. Lord, please remove the suffering. Please remove the suffering. And to echo, as we often do, the words of Jesus in the garden, it's not about my will, 
Lord, but is about your will being done. And so if I must walk through suffering as a prelude to the glory to come, Lord, your will be done. So we look at suffering and say, I'm not going to fear the suffering that's coming. Instead, I'm going to revere the Savior that I have. I'm not going to fear the suffering that may be coming, but instead I'm going to revere or or have a deep respect for the Savior that I have. Believers should not fear, but instead we should revere or set apart Christ as holy in our hearts. We should recognize that the present troubles that we are experiencing are only temporary. They are not forever. I think for me the best example is is the line at Walmart. And how terrible it is. And, and some of the Jameson folks are here this morning, and I'm sorry I said Walmart. We should be in line at Bob's. I know. Okay. The line at Walmart. How many times have you been in line at Walmart or Bob's or anywhere, and you've said, this line is never going to end. And yet here you are, out of the line. See, in the moment, your view was obstructed. And even your memory was obstructed. And for a moment, the fears that you had of the suffering that was coming, thoughts, the thoughts that you had, you thought this will last forever. And Peter, in these verses, is trying to wrap our minds around or get us pointed in the right direction. Even if you're you're beaten, even if you have physical harm that comes your way, it is not for, it's not forever. Peter is not telling us, I want to make this clear this morning, Peter is not telling us that we should mimic the suffering of Christ for the sake of saving the world. You're not going through suffering so that you may obtain salvation for yourself or anyone else in your family. You're not going through suffering so that you may obtain salvation for the entire world. Christ has done that for us. We're not mimicking his suffering Instead, because we are in Christ, we are suffering like Him, not for the sins of the world, but maybe for the experience of knowing the grace, love, forgiveness, compassion, and maybe most of all, the mercy of God. Suffering should lead us to and make us think about the compassion, the grace, the forgiveness, and the mercy of the mercy of God. So when Peter says in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil, that's our first response. You can ask Ryland just this past week, hurt me and I'm going to hurt you, right? I mean, that's our first response. Do evil to me and I'll do evil back to you. Revile me and I'll revile you. That's our first natural response. Peter's saying if you've been saved by Christ and Christ is in you and changing you internally and being transformed by him, you're going to respond like Christ. And how did Christ respond? We have to be transformed by him. And instead of repaying evil for evil, and instead of reviling for being reviled, Jesus was on the contrary, the opposite of that. He blessed because of the blessing that he knew was waiting him. Verses 10 through 12, quoted from Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So there's a couple of promises here that that might help you when someone is doing evil to you. You can think about the promise of that the Lord is going to, when Jesus returns, take away all evil, right all wrongs. He's a righteous just judge, a righteous, just God. And he will do with evil what, what 
the things that evil should be done with. He's going to remove them and judge them. Those who remain with sin or in evil will be judged according to their sins, and the punishment will be right. The punishment that you might give for evil will never be right. Only the just judge can give a righteous judgment. And so we act as Christ working through us and us abiding in Christ. We act on behalf of Christ. We honor him as holy in our hearts. Verse verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. It's a cool word, zealous. Uh, it's the word, uh, the Greek word that sounds like water boiling over. And uh, what's happening when Peter is saying this, um, that there's this passion boiling up inside of you, this fire burning up inside of you. And what are we going to do with that? What are we going to allow this passion to go? We'll talk about this more next week, but this Greek word, zealot, is the same Greek word that's used for jealousy. It's the same word, jealousy and zealousy. It all depends on how, how it's used in a sentence. Jealousy is negative. It's used in a negative way. Zealousy is used in a positive way. And how quickly those things can change, right? As our water temperature begins to boil inside of us, how quickly those things can change. We'll talk more about that next week and hopefully help you on how to bless people in your zealousy and not curse them in your jealousy. But in this case, Peter's asking us or telling us or commanding us that even if we're being harmed while we're being zealous for the Lord, are they really going to bring harm to us? Where is there, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. It is a blessing to suffer for righteousness' sake. As Peter is writing to these exiled Christians in the churches dispersed throughout Asia Minor, he's reminding them, look for, look for suffering. Let it come to you. Welcome it. Show it hospitality. Say, please, give me more suffering for good because it tells me that I'm blessed and finding favor in the Lord's eyes. How many of us have the same attitude today? Lord, help me suffer this week. Help me suffer this week, and whatever it looks like, so that I may know I've found favor in your eyes. Not many of us. Instead, we say the opposite. Lord, I must have not found favor in your eyes because I'm suffering. Oh, I must have done something wrong because I'm suffering. These people are hurting me, so I must must have done something wrong. Peter's saying, no, it's the opposite. Suffering is a sign of blessedness, suffering for doing good, is a sign of being blessed by God. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord. Throughout history, we have followers of of the Lord and followers of, of Christ who have wrestled with this. Numbers 13 tells a story about the Israelites who have been saved. Uh, They are exiled people. They were exiled people, but they have been saved. They've been rescued from from slavery. And and, uh, even in their rescuing, they begin to grumble and complain. And they begin to worry about fear, uh, about uh, things of this earth, things, people who might bring harm to them. And we catch up with them in Numbers chapter 13, verses 28, 31, and 33. And they have developed this huge fear of men. This huge fear of people upon this earth. And they say things like, however, the people who dwell in this land are strong. 
And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak are there. They began to wrestle with, Lord, you you want us to, to go into this land, but I'm fearful of what may happen to us there. Verse 31 says, Then the man who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against this people, for they are stronger than we are. We are so, so, so weak. I can't even... I can't even handle these people because they're so much stronger than I am. Verse 33 says, And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. We're, We're so small compared to how large they are. We're like grasshoppers to how big these giants are. And so their fear began to be obstructed. No longer were there, was their vision upon the Lord. Instead, their fear was upon, upon men. We catch up even further with them in Numbers 14. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation, make of you a nation greater and mightier than they are. Moses tried to tell the people to have a rightly placed fear. Who who is it that has all authority and all power and all control? Ed Welch says that this fear of men has led them to idolatry. Our jealous God demands that he alone be worshipped and exalted. To fear Pharaoh, these Israelites were, to fear Pharaoh rather than the true God was idolatry. It's a heart issue. The fear that we have, that Peter's writing about even here, when we fear those who may persecute us, when we fear the suffering that may come from someone trying to harm us, we have to wrestle with, are we dealing with idolatry? So I want to help you, because I think that fear obstructs your view and your memory. I think fear, in this case, when, we're, when, they're, when you're in the midst of suffering, whatever it looks like, whether it's physical suffering or mental suffering, or psychological suffering, or whatever the case may be, when you're in the middle of this suffering, your view is obstructed. So, so, so don't allow your fear to move your tunnel vision, you know tunnel vision, this clear, direct path to whatever your goal is, particularly for Christians, our tunnel vision is, our vision is upon our Savior. Don't allow fear to obstruct your view and move your tunnel vision from the empty tomb to whatever the impending doom you think you have is awaiting you. So don't allow your tunnel vision to be moved from, obstructed, obstructing the view from the empty tomb to the impending doom. I'm trying to help you with a little rap here, okay? So that you can remember this. What Peter is trying to get our focus in on is that Christ has suffered for you. And in his suffering and his sacrifice for you, though he was harmed physically to the point of death, three days later he rose from the grave, defeating death, removing sin, conquering the grave, Satan, all these things. And so when we have an impending doom, when we think, oh no, my life is over, I'll never get out of this, oh oh no, this cold front is approaching, Oh no, this deadline is approaching. Oh no, we have the holidays approaching and I won't ever be prepared for this. Oh no, another bill. Oh no, another illness. Oh no, another death, etc. Whatever they may be, this impending doom. Our view becomes obstructed. And our fear is, is removed from, from the place it should rightly be. 
And we misplace our fear onto something of this world, a temporary thing. So don't allow your fear to obstruct your view and move your tunnel vision from the empty tomb to the current impending doom. But instead, let your fear lead to revering the Savior. Too often we're focused on the moment, the temporary moment. We're, we're focused in, on the physical punch. You know, the punch that came your way, whatever it was. Maybe it was physical or mental, or whatever the case may be. If this was the same in telling jokes, if we only focused in on the punch line, you'd never know the whole joke. If you're only focusing in on the punch, you'll never know the whole story. Can you imagine, parents, you have this. In fact, Heather just told a story about this. When your kids are trying to make up jokes, uh, they come to the punchline and there's no humor in it at all. And you try and help them, let's, let's adjust your joke a little bit. Uh, I understand that you think it's funny, but there's not. So you have to like give this whole background. Uh, here's why kangaroos with unicorns are not funny. Okay, it sounds funny to you in third grade, but it's not. Whatever the case may be. So let's help you. And then what if you, you fix the joke? And so then they said, uh, with the joke. And it was a kangaroo with a unicorn horn. And everybody laughs. And they got the response that they wanted. The punchline, the response, everyone laughs. And then they just went around just telling the punchline. And you as a parent would have to go, let me tell you, I know my daughter or son told you this joke, and they, they only told you the punchline, and I have to give you the background story to it, why it's funny. And grandparents, you know this, like, let me show you this picture, and here's why we think it's funny, and they're awesome, and you should have grandkids like mine. And you have to tell the whole background story. And you're like, why do my grandkids and my kids only focus in on the punchline? In the midst of suffering, we do the same thing. We tend to only focus in on the punch instead of the whole story, the background, what's happening in the future, the empty tomb, the resurrected grave, the return of the king, looking at the whole story. And when we have a fear of man, a fear of a punch, we tend to focus in on the punch and then dwell upon the bruise instead of focusing in on our bruised Savior. Our Savior who has written this entire story, He's the hero of it, and we get to worship Him and Him alone. So again, don't allow tunnel vision to be obstructed uh, by fear and remove your vision from the empty tomb, but instead, because of the impending doom, but instead, focus in on the whole story. Focus in on the, the entire story. Don't let the present troubles that are only temporary move you to focusing in on uh, allow it to move you towards focusing on our Savior. And then the second fear that I think we, we deal with often is an obstructed memory. Obstructed memory. We allow fear of men, fear of the punch, fear of things of this world to obstruct our memory. We, we have a terrible memory. Mary, maybe there are some things in this world that we should be afraid of, but we don't allow those things to help us or motivate us to forget God. We cannot have an obstructed memory. When fear of men happen, fear of persecution, fear of suffering happens, don't, don't allow it to obstruct your view and don't allow it to obstruct your memory. Don't allow it to, to move you to forgetting who God, who God is. There's a great book um, about a movement in the Muslim world where many Muslims are coming to, to, know, the, to know Christ as Savior. And there's a story about 
a group of Christians in Turkmenistan who have come to faith, and Turkmenistan is a closed country, and so they are being heavily persecuted. And I'm talking about in contemporary terms, like right now this is happening. And this group of Christians is being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus, and many are being uh, persecuted to the point of death. And as um, this story has been written, and this interviewer has told the story, uh, he became very sorrowful because of what is happening to these to these new believers, happening to these um, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, to add some comfort to the interviewer's sorrow, one of the believers, one of the leaders in the Turkmenistan Christian Church, said, "We have a saying among Turkmenistan Christians." If you have been persecuted, at least you have not been beaten. And if you have been beaten, at least you are not in prison. If you are in prison, at least you have not been killed. And if you have been killed, praise God, you are with him in heaven. What an attitude. What a, what a great focus. What a great vision. What a great memory to remind each other daily. We have a God who we can celebrate. And Peter is trying to do this for us. When he says things like, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, we preach this to ourselves in the midst of suffering. We remind ourselves that we have a leader. We have a leader. We have a leader who has suffered for us. We join him in suffering, but our eyes and our memory is placed upon him and him alone. Think about the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 10. So have no fear of him, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear, whisper, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is Jesus saying? Do not forget God in the midst of your suffering. Do not forget God in the midst of your suffering. Fear obstructs your memory. And so you need to place around you folks who can say, recall, remember Jesus. Do not forget Jesus. Let me read these again to you from uh, starting in verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. This is this recalling, this remembering. Honor Christ as the Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Not by your actions of returning a punch to them, but by your actions and your good conscience of honoring Christ as holy. For it is better for you to suffer for doing good than it is uh, for, for that, if that be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience wanted in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. There, there's much commentary about verses 20 and 21. One of my favorite statements is from a guy named, maybe you're familiar with him, is a guy named Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther is one of my favorite German Catholics. And uh, he wrote that there are many mysteries in the Bible, this being one of them. 
And my response to this is, I don't know. I don't know what Peter was saying. In fact, I think that Peter, personally, just kind of comically here, I think Peter got confused. And as he was having a scribe write this out for him, he began to mumble. And the scribe just interpreted this force like this. Because these verses don't offer a lot of clarity. There's many ways to view this, a lot of ways to view this. It would take much discussion, which probably some of you will have over this, okay? In the context of suffering for righteousness' sake and pointing our view and our memory on Jesus and Jesus alone, can I just tell you this? Whatever it meant for Jesus to go to to proclaim to the spirits and wherever the spirits were, we don't have to do that. So celebrate that. Rest in that and then figure out what Jesus is trying to say. We don't have to go back to the days of Noah. We don't have to build an ark to be rescued. We don't have to do those things. Instead, we trust, as the end of verse 21 says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected or submissive to him. So what should Christians do in the meantime? In the meantime, while we're waiting for Christ to return, to do away with all evil, to make all things new and right and righteous, what should we do in the meantime? Well, we should do, as Christ prayed in his model prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. We should submit ourselves to the authority of Christ. We should suffer like Christ. We should honor Christ as holy in our hearts. We should allow those things to motivate us. We should honor or set apart Christ in our heart so that our brain and our actions are motivated by him. We don't fear the suffering that may be coming. Instead, we revere the Savior that we have. We don't fear the suffering that may be awaiting us, but instead we revere the Savior that we have. Christ has suffered just like we are suffering. I think that's why Peter brings this out. I find it so comforting when I found out that my leader is paying the same prices that I pay, is eating the same food that I eat, is breathing the same air that I'm breathing, is suffering the same suffering that I'm suffering. When I find out those things, my respect for my leader grows. It increases. My my revering of him increases because I understand my leader is not just giving words. No, he lived and suffered as I live and suffer. And because of that, I have this great connection with him, understanding Jesus, you came left your place of holiness to come to this broken world to save me, suffering for me. Because you are a great leader, I submit my life to you. Suffering should lead us to submission. It is why Peter has written 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3 and connected them together. Submission, suffering should lead us to submission. Who are you going to submit to? Are you going to submit to the fear of men, the idols of this world, Or are you going to submit to Christ and fear and revere him alone? Christ suffered, and guess what? Peter tells us the angels, the authorities, and the powers to be have submitted their lives to him. That's why he is seated at the right hand of God. He has completed the work of salvation. And so we submit our lives to him. I'll end with this. We do not fear the suffering that is awaiting us. But instead, we revere our Savior. Let me pray for you.
Lord Jesus, help us in this moment to, co- to find comfort in you and you alone. God, as we wrestle with the things that we fear, the fear that obstructs our view and our memory, God, as we wrestle with idolatry, placing things above you, even trying to move things of this earth and have them sit at the right hand of God, Lord, convict us of that and let us have a right fear, respect, an honor of you and you alone. God, you are the only one worthy of suffering for You're the only thing worthy of suffering for. So God, if there are Christians in this room now that are experiencing suffering for righteousness' sake, God, let them be encouraged because of Christ. For our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for righteousness' sake, God, let them be encouraged in some way by their vision upon you, their memory of the empty tomb, God, in the holiness of who you are and how you've willingly, through the sacrifice of your Son, given to us opportunity to be clothed with your righteousness. God, continue to to work in our hearts and our minds this morning as we respond to you through, through song, as we respond to you through through thinking, maybe, just introspection. God, as we we think about the cross, our sins being removed from us, God, let that spur us in a direction and motivate us, compel us to submit wholeheartedly to Christ and Christ alone. All for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing Nail to the Cross, response to Christ. Zach and I will be down here. Love to pray with you if you need some direction. Let's respond and worship Jesus this morning.